because so often I feel like it's not bright enough for me up here. Uh, I have trouble reading my notes, and so I went and got me a Bible that has larger print, so that helps tremendously. But uh, let's see where we'll go today. I'm I am so glad for the songs this morning. They were uh, very much on. I want to talk about the sovereignty of God and man's free will. And one thing we're not going to touch this morning, so don't even think I'm going there, is predestination. And Peter said, the elect. And we're not going to talk about the elect or predestination. Those are two subjects that I'm not sure I'm willing to tackle at this point. Maybe I should, but I'm not sure uh, that that's in my thinking at this point. So I'd like to turn to Isaiah chapter 45 for just a couple verses and It just reminds me of what God said. Uh, he said in verse 5, and this is, this is a prophecy to Cyrus, who was going to become the king of Babylon. So he makes the first four verses he talks about what he is going to do specifically for Cyrus. But then he comes to verse 5, and I've used this verse, I think, in every one of these sermons so far. So uh, if we stay with the sovereignty of God some more, you'll probably hear him some more. But in verse 5, after he has told Cyrus the things he's going to do, then he says something that is direct technically opposite of what Cyrus is probably thinking. He says in verse 5, I am the Lord, there is none other. Besides me, there is no God. I equipped you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is none other. He starts with that, and it lays the foundation that this is who I am. There is nobody else. And so now I want to switch from that. I wanted you to think about that one. But I want to switch from that to why are some people saved and some people aren't. Jonah and we all, we all know this guy, he went to Nineveh, but he said in chapter 2, verse 9, that salvation is of the Lord. That's where it comes from. So why are some people saved and some aren't? Why are some people left out and some aren't? Why are some people... Are they too sinful? You know, our, our depravity calls us 
to be put to death. In the face of a holy God, our sinfulness is so black that on a scale of black, it doesn't even show up. That is what it is to a holy God. So is our depravity that bad that some people, is it worse for others than others? One guy said, when you talk about heaven and hell, people say, ah, they don't believe in hell. But you toss out one name and they invariably will believe in hell. And that name is Hitler. That's where he needs to go. Hell was not made for one person. Hell was not even made for man. It was made for the devil and his angels. It was not made for man. And so is the depravity that bad? Well, in 1 Timothy, Paul says, no. He says, I am the, sinner, the chief of sinners. He says, I am as bad as they can get. I'm not quite sure why he said that, but I do know that he had his life was so geared toward the destruction of the church and the destruction of anybody who believed in Jesus Christ that when it got turned around, he said, I am the chief sinner. There is nobody worse than I am. Are some people not saved because they're too hard-hearted? Are they so hard-hearted that they have a heart of stone? And Ezekiel chapter 11 says, If you will return to me, I will change your heart of stone to a heart of flesh, to a soft heart. I'd like to turn to Psalms chapter 1. Uh, we all know that chapter starts out with blessed is. But I'd like to switch that from blessed is to what he actually says in the psalm. He starts out with, blessed is the man, but skip that. At one point, we were all there who walked in the counsel of the wicked. We all stood in the way with sinners. At one point, we were there. At one point, we sat in the seat of the scornful, the scoffers. We were there. We were not holy individuals, but at one point, we were there. And God, somehow, some way, touched our hearts. In Luke chapter 19 is the story of the parable of the, the man that left his talents to his individuals and once he went on his journey, the people came after him and said, we don't want this man to rule over us. Is that where we were at? At one point, we were. At one point, all of us were in the presence of an almighty God. We did not want him to rule over us. That was not us. That's not the way we are. What makes 
you have a free will. Actually, if you go to the Bible, at no point does the Bible talk about the free will of man. It's not listed as the free will of man. It's listed as the will of man. I did some looking into it, and one thing I found was there's three things that technically, if you want to call it that, give us a free will. Number one, your personality. You are a person. If we go back to Genesis chapter 1, we were created in the image of God. And that image of God is some of the attributes of God, of loving, of knowing, of being just, being wise. Those were the things we were created into. So you have a personality. The second one is you can reason. You can think. You can complicate matters. <laughs> Sometimes, by the way, we think we complicate more than we, un we uncomplicate. But we can reason. In Isaiah chapter 1, 18 to 20, the Lord says, come let us reason together. And then he goes on from that and says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be like crimson, they shall be like wool. But he says, come let us reason. That means you and I can reason. We can reason. We may not reason correctly, but we can reason. And the third one is, and this one's a little, I don't know if I, how, to, how to really explain it, but it's, we're sovereign. We are our own little individual person. If you go to Genesis, he says, you will have dominion over, and he gives a list of all. And if you look at that list, there is nothing in that list that compares to man. So we are sovereign. We are given the privilege to rule over. And if you go through history and think about some of the, the rulers over people, how bad they actually were and how good some of them actually were. But that's why you have a free will. You, can re, you have a personality, you have rationality, and you are sovereign. Those three go together. They make us. In Isaiah chapter 64, well, no, let's go to Job first. Uh, Job 21, there's just a couple verses. He says, and this is Job talking. This is not the three friends talking. This is Job. He says in, in verses 14 and 15, if you, go, if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, it says, uh, and Job replied, the wicked do prosper. And then he goes through this list about how the wicked prosper and how they live and how they are so good and how things seem to all fit together for them. And then he comes to verse 14. Actually, we'll back up to verse 13. After he said all these things about him, he says, they spend their days in prosperity and in peace. They go down to Sheol. 
Then he says in verse 14, They say to God, Depart from us. We do not desire to, to we do not desire the knowledge of your ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we get if we pray to him? That is man. That is us. We don't feel like we need God. And in that process, we deny the very creator of us. I'm going to turn, most, most of what I'd like to talk about comes out of Jeremiah chapter uh, 18. Where he, is, it's the potter. And in a number of other places it comes up to uh, in Romans chapter 9, Paul talks about being about the pot and being a potter and how we live. And this is where God's sovereignty comes into our lives. I'm not a potter. I've never turned a pot. I don't know anything about it more than the modern day pots potters have electric to run their wheels. The old ones in biblical times, he had a wheel on the bottom and a wheel on top and his feet made the wheel go on the bottom almost like a treadmill and that made it run and while it was turning he would stick his hands in the top and make his pot. We had a reunion this past summer yeah. and one of my cousins is a therapist in Chicago and for his own therapy he does pottery. And pottery that he made some was beautiful some was very useful, some was very uh, unuseful, and some was just, from my perspective, now from other people's perspective, I guess they liked it because every piece he had there disappeared. He said, you can have it, you don't have to. But from my perspective, some of it was downright ugly. But that's pottery. Some is made, and in Jeremiah, he talks about the potter making some for honorable uses and some for dishonorable uses. And I think it's in Romans, Paul talks about using pottery for the destruction of uses. Uh, so I'd like to turn to Jeremiah chapter 18, and we'll read the first 12 verses. And when you think about this guy is, is spinning this pottery, and if you've ever watched, I, I did go on YouTube long enough to get a little bit of a look, and it's a messy process. I mean, literally, it's a messy process. I, I didn't realize it was that messy until I watched it. Uh, you know, I always thought it was sort of like playing on a lathe. You know, you just have these nice wood chips flying and you just take your hands and it makes it all nice and smooth. And doesn't work that way. It is messy because it takes water. And if you put water on anything and it's spinning, what does it do? It flies. And so it's a messy process. One of the things I want you to catch here in Jeremiah chapter 18 is Jeremiah did not catch what God wanted when he sent him. But he caught what he wanted once he was there. So Jeremiah, the word of the Lord, the, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there 
he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands. And he worked it into another vessel. As it seemed good to the potter to do. Now the first part of that verse. The pot was spoiled. It did not conform to what he wanted. They showed one guy doing it. And what he did was he got too much water in it. And then the thing wanted to just sort of. It, it didn't want to hold form. And another guy didn't have enough water in it. And so as he was spinning, his hands actually started turning raw from the clay. And it would not make a nice, it wanted to go sort of oblong because it wasn't soft enough. And so this is us. This is us. We are in the hands of God. And he is the potter. And he is spinning a pot. And we have the choice of being conformable to his hands or being stubborn to his hands. Not willing to let him mold that pot. So he made this pot. In this verse, the spotter, potter made the pot and he didn't like what he had. And if he did like the guys on YouTube did, he made it a little wet than what, what he wanted, and he just went and just crunched it. I mean, it literally crunched down. He had a spindle about that long, had started out with a piece that was about that big around and about that high, and all of a sudden he had a spindle that was way long because he got, couldn't get it to do what he wanted, so he crunched it. And then he turned out another pot. Now, I didn't stop. I didn't watch long enough to see what he ended up with, but... Uh, he seemed to be pleased with what he was doing by the way he was talking about how this was conforming to his hands and how that, how his hands were actually working the pot. And that's what God wants to do to us. In his sovereignty, he is making that pot. The question is, am I willing to be what he wants me to be in that pot? Does he want that pot to be an honorable pot? Or does he want it to be a dishonorable pot. If you go to the, the, the fruit of the, I mean, the, the gifts of the Spirit, you know, you have all the list from the top down. Uh, you have apostles, teachers, preachers, you know, go right on down through the list. And if you were here for Gary Troyer's list, he had 17, 18. But some of those were not what I would call a gift, but that's what he called them. And some of those gifts were gifts that you will never, ever see in church. We see a few gifts in church. Well, maybe you don't, but I, I see a few things that I've always appreciated of people. And one is Robert Loretta cleaning this place. Willing to be in here at an inconvenient time to clean the place. Part of that pottery being molded, part of the things that we, a lot of them we don't see. Uh, now granted, we do have the joy of the hospitality committee, 
But like yesterday, how many of you knew that that, that hospitality committee was there all day Friday? A few. It was behind the scenes. They were there doing the dirty work, the hard work. I don't know what you want to call it. But they were there. And those are things that are people who are being molded and turned because they're willing to let God do the turning. Sometimes I think we are too busy trying to do our thing and not what God wants us to do. In Romans chapter 9, verse 20, uh, and this one just... This is Paul talking about the pottery. Uh, he starts out at verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there an injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, and this is one that we often get stuck on. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God makes that choice. If you go up just one verse ahead of that, God said, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. What does that mean? God in his sovereignty knows what's happening. I thought about Cain and Abel. God in his sovereignty knew what was happening. And if you realize God gave a, a Cain a chance, he gave him a chance. He said, where is, he said when he brought his gift, he said, I'm not accepting it. But you know what it takes for it to be acceptable. And if you don't, sin lies at the door. He made it so that it was a way for Cain to see. Pharaoh is another one. God didn't harden his heart to begin with. I'm not sure. I should have looked it up. I'm not sure which one of the, of the, of the uh, plagues came and when he decided to harden Pharaoh's heart. But up until that point, Pharaoh had the opportunity to repent. He had the opportunity to turn the children of Israel free. But at that point, he got to the point where God said, I'm done. Now I'm going to use you to show the world my power. And that's where it went. But in, in chapter 9, I will have mercy and I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomsoever he wills, and he hardens whomsoever he wills. God's sovereignty. He can do what he wants to do. We are the clay in that hand. And I think we have a spot 
where it goes so far that God says, enough, enough. And I don't think that's an easy place to answer where that spot is. I have, I, I don't, I, I hope there's never anybody I personally know that gets to that spot or got to that spot. But God says, I will draw you. I will bring you. I am not willing that anybody should perish. I will bring you into, into the fold. I want everybody. But at some place, God says, enough is enough. And then it ends. He says in verse 19, You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can, he re who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out the same lump, one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with, and this is a part, with that much patience, vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction. God had a lot of patience, and he still does. And he is challenging us to come. We have a free will. We have the ability to say no. And too many people say no. And we have that ability. We can say no to God. We can turn our backs on him and walk away. But he wants us to come to him. And as that clay is being molded, as our lives are being molded, and our lives are molded by uh, our upbringing, they're molded by our environment, they're molded by the people we associate with, uh, and as those moldings are happening, God needs to be able to work in there. And if he can't work that clay to suit him, then woe is us. We need to be willing to let him do what he needs to do. He says there, we can't resist God. And we can't argue with God. And if you followed Job, you know Job tried. And when he got to the end, God still didn't give him an answer. God just said, were you there when? And of course, Job had to say, no. So he has asked us to give our lives, give my pot, my lump of clay to him. And let him mold that lump of clay. Let him mold me. J. Wilbur Chapman said, clay is not attractive in itself. But when the hands of the potter touch it and the thought of the potter is brought to bear upon it, 
and the plan of the potter is worked in it and through it. Then there is real transformation. Thank you, Father, for being here. Thank you for your word that opens up the doors to us in a special way that we can see you move in our lives if we're only willing to let you be the potter. Thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus Christ, who came and died for us upon the cross and gave us that heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. and gave us the promises that there is eternal life and that you and your spirit walk with us every day, every step that we take. And we just ask again for you to touch us and to speak to us and to show us where our piece of clay was not soft enough for you to mold. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.